The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by Unity.org. Elevate your life with the Rise Into Your Power Habit Tracker. Track up to 10 habits for 30 days and experience transformative results. To learn more, visit go.unity.org forward slash rise. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to Spirit of Recovery Offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery Here's Rev. Dan Beckett Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Rev. Dan Beckett here with co-host Rev. Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions or comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner and be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is titled What We Were Like. Here on Spirit of Recovery, we approach each each week's topic asking the same questions. What were we like? What happened? And what are we like now? Today, we want to share with you the answers to those questions for each of us in our own recovery journey. What is our story or what is our deal? Well, today we aim to share our experience, strength, and hope on the experience of our own recoveries, what we were like, what happened, and what we're like now. Yeah, so we're going to share with you, just like Dan said, what we were like before, what happened to us, and how we are now. And we're going to talk about a spiritual tool or principle that really, or let's say a group of spiritual tools and principles today, that helped guide us through those tough times. We certainly hope you'll find something in our experience that will be helpful to you in your own recovery. So today we're going to be talking about moving from active addiction to what we now consider a great life, right, Dan? Through the power or the, yeah, the power of the uh, addiction recovery process. Yeah, so when I think about, uh, you know, the first question, what was I like? Uh, I'll also mix that with what was it like, right? What was I like? What was it like? Um, So my story is that uh, my drinking career was long and it was sort of a slow escalation over I mean about almost 30 years I think and it's you know I started as a I guess late teen probably like many uh, what I would characterize is sometimes every once in a while some weekends maybe you know we'd have something to drink somehow or other and just kind of did that for a while and then um you know moving into college years it was more like every weekend and after a while it was that plus some weekdays right and then after a while it was every day Mm -hmm. and that was about halfway through so about 15 years into my drinking i began 
uh, what I now look back and see was daily drinking. Yeah. And so I drank daily for about 15 years uh, until it became abundantly clear that uh, the universe was revoking my drinking license. And it was <laughs> time for a whole new way of being. So that's, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that's my um, drinking escalation. It's the, it's of the slow, the slow burn variety. Yes that uh, just built up over time, slowly got worse. Yeah. It's so interesting that you and I do this program together because we have so much in common, uh, so many similarities that we share, and yet our our drinking histories are so vastly different. So yours was a very long, like you said, slow burn. Mine was a very short period of time. So I, like you, started drinking in my uh, teenage years. Um just kind of dabbling with it, maybe beginning at 13 or 14 or so. But by high school, was pretty much drinking whenever I had the opportunity, which was mostly weekends. You know, I was a good student. I was in the marching band and such, and I was in the choir, and I got good grades. But, um, you know, I was definitely at all the parties, and um, I had a close group of male friends, and my goal in life was to be as awesome as them and to do everything that they did. So, you know, I wanted to drink like them and smoke like them and chew tobacco like them and basically do, you know, drive cars like them and, you know, do all the stuff that they did. And that's pretty much what I did. And um, my drinking only got worse when I went off to college. Um, and then I went to Mexico and the rest is history. No. And, um, you know, just spent two years basically having a very good time. <laughs> And, um, you know, there was the drinking culture there that I was very much a part of and um, living like every day was vacation pretty much. And that really amped up my drinking and then um, continued drinking that way when I came home. And then I got to graduate school and um, basically what took me down fast, and I'm kind of glad that it did because, you know, I didn't have to spend the next 10, 20 years drinking and getting worse and worse was relationships because, you know, I had all of my relationship issues um, intertwined with my drinking. And of course, um, I chose people who I chose to be in relationship with people who drank like me or worse. Well, usually worse. Um, and so, you know, those two were just not a good combination to be young, drunk and volatile was just not, not a good thing for me. But the relationship issues are what really took me down fast and um, and caused me to hit my bottom at um, age 24, where I was just so desperate to be out of these um, unhealthy and addictive and um, just extremely painful relationships. So I got clean and sober at 24 and then had to begin working. You know, the alcohol was just like removing the um, it was sort of like the lighter fluid that was being poured on to my life, you know. Yeah. And when I removed that and realized that um, all of the relationship stuff was still there and I could get almost as crazy um, sober as I did drunk. That was quite a realization for me. But then I had to really dig in and begin to do the real work of, um, you know, looking at why I was attracting that kind of relationship and why my life was so um, out of control and dramatic. But yeah, so it was it was actually the the underlying issues are what really um, caused me to hit my bottom. 
and the alcohol was sort of just a symptom of it, you know, and sort of in a way. But they very much were interlaced and went together. Yeah, yeah, that is different than mine. I was just getting started after that many years. Yeah. I was thinking I should add to my story that began with some weekends and ended up with every day. Yeah. It actually ended up with every hour. Mm. Um, that only lasted maybe three weeks. The last yeah. three weeks of my drinking was 24-7. Mm -hmm. It was completely insane. I could yeah. not. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I'd heard it said that a lot of a lot of college students binge drink, but most of them stop when they're no longer in college. But some of us don't stop. Yeah. We're no longer, you know, we like start drinking like that and then stay drinking like that yeah you know i drank to uh drank to relax is is one of the things that comes to mind i my just given the way that i'm wired i certainly have the ability to be kind of wound up uh, about things anxiety you know it doesn't show on the outside um, so much i've always i'd always been especially when i was younger very quiet very introverted so i looked like I was cool as a cucumber, as they say, but inside my head, <laughs> there was a, it was going a mile a minute, you know, yeah. full of concern and anxiety. Is this going to work out? And how can I get that? And, um, you know, I still have that. It depends on what's going on. Now, I, I have it somewhat uh, today, except that I'm doing far more in the world than I had ever done which is only possible because I'm sober and because I've learned to live by spiritual principles. But be, to me, being stressed still looks like it always did. Mm -hmm. it, it's not as bad. It's not running my life. And I can be engaged in the world to a far greater degree than I ever could have. Um, and I'm getting ahead, you know, we're, we're moving toward talking about having a great life. <laughs> You know, being able to do this show is one example, but we'll get to the great life. But you know, when I think, what was it? What were, what was I like? What was it like? I was drinking to relax yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. Anxiety, you know, relax. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about how a lot of college students do binge drink and such, and it doesn't. They don't go on to become alcoholics. Of course, a lot of the ones that I saw did go on, and I was. <laughs> It was interesting at, you know, my 10-year reunion, my 20-year reunion, my 30-year reunion. I was sober at all of those high school reunions, you know, and seeing folks that were still drinking the way they did in high school 30 years later. I'm like, how are you all even standing upright? I just, is crazy to me how people could continue to drink for so long at that level. I mean, these guys were drinkers back in high school. Tolerance. So, yeah, tolerance. But I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of glad that my addiction took me down quickly so that I had to, you know, make a change because I would not have liked to have spent the past 30 years continuing to do what I was doing then. But what I was going to say about that is that was one of the things that I thought is like, well, it doesn't everybody drink, isn't everybody partying, you know, it's college, it's graduate school, whatever. And certainly I was surrounding myself with a group of people that were doing that. But the truth is, and I realized this after I got sober, everybody wasn't doing that. There were a whole lot of people that weren't doing what I was doing. You know what I mean? And what they were doing was forming lifelong friendships and relationships with folks and developing hobbies and skills and 
um, getting, you know, experiences and such. While I was mired in relationship drama and alcoholism, you know, so um, and then I felt the results of that later when I had not spent that time investing in friendships and such. Um, you know, I see how different our lives were after that, you know, um, because I had spent so much of my time and energy just pursuing these relationships and pursuing drinking situations when I should have been, you know, doing other things, focused on other things. So that was sort of a tragedy that I had to come to terms with, like how much of myself I had wasted, how much of my time I had wasted, um, you know, pursuing the next big party. Cause I was, you know, I wanted to party. I wanted that, um, you know, I've talked about this before. I wanted that beer commercial feeling. I wanted that feeling of all those, I guess they don't have them now. I'm, I'm dating myself, but maybe they do. I'm not sure. There used to be commercials, you know, for like Coors or Bud Light. And it was like all these people in a boat, you know, speeding through a lake, just like having the time of their lives and all being best friends. And just, that's what I wanted. I wanted that feeling. I wanted that fun. I wanted that. And they're, all, they're all rich and incredibly good looking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, they were then they were then. Yes. Perfect. Right. But they looked yeah. like they were having so much fun, and I just, I wanted that. I wanted that feeling. But, you know, I, I know now that I was self-medicating, you know, a lot of things. Depression, anxiety, um, you know, childhood issues, um, you know, all this relationship drama and the pain that it caused me. Um, I was I was self-medicating. I was trying to... Uh, I was trying to escape that pain. I was trying to numb that pain. I was trying to, I was trying to survive. Basically I was trying to, because I was, I was a super high achiever. So I was doing my best drinking at the time that I was, you know, pulling like straight A's at, at a, one of the top graduate schools in the country. You know, that was the level of my craziness you know I think it's we like, can do that when we're young though right we can do that when we're young but it's almost like I was always trying to see how much drama I could create and still hold everything together so that was kind of my deal you know it's like I guess some people call that like a control drinker like can I, I drink, can I drink like this and not get into too much trouble <laughs> right you know what I mean can I yeah. kind of fix the trouble the next day can I wake up and fix the trouble I've made the day before <laughs> at some point I realized there were two kinds of drinkers normal drinkers like me and lightweights who didn't get the point <laughs> also known as amateurs wannabes <laughs> well let's uh, shift gears we've talked here a lot about the challenge of uh, active addiction it's time to move out of the problem which we always want to do is to move out of the problem after acknowledging it and move into the solution. So what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. And what we're talking about today, the spiritual principles we're talking about today that helped us move out of that active addiction and into what we are calling a great life is basically the 12 steps, you know, the 12 step principles, which are also spiritual principles. So 12 step spiritual principles or 12-step spirituality of course means different things to different people or more specifically we can all have different experiences you know with each of the principles with each of the steps every step of course has a spiritual principle underneath it 
So let's talk about what 12-step spiritual principles mean to us. Michelle, what do you think? So I, for me, I think I can sum up my experience of the 12-step process as being a process of self-examination and self-awareness. So when I was drinking and, you know, when I, you know, I was, I was a very young person. So it was partly a function of drinking and partly a function of just being young and unaware. You know, I was kind of clueless. I didn't really know what was going on with myself. I didn't know, I didn't really want to be in touch with myself. In fact, I wanted to be out of touch with myself. That was the whole point of drinking was to not, you know, we talk in the 12 step rooms about being uncomfortable in our own skin and so many of us have that experience of just being uncomfortable and just wanting to, you know, whether it's, I think I had long-term low-grade chronic depression and anxiety and, you know, things like that. And I just didn't want to feel that way, you know. And so um, I was drinking to not feel that way. So for me, removing the alcohol meant slowing my life down and beginning to become aware and awake and in touch with myself. And that's pretty much been what the whole process has been about for me, you know, and then of course, um, you know, that leads to all kinds of other realizations and growth and changes in behavior. But it, for me, it all began with um, that awareness. You know, I needed to remove the alcohol, I needed to slow down and I needed to start looking at myself so it's like knowing myself and knowing what was causing me to want to behave like this. Why was I choosing relationships like that? Why was I pouring alcohol on the whole mess? Um, you know, and so, and that's an ongoing process that, you know, is something that I didn't realize at the time, but I was really committing to a lifelong process of awareness and awakeness and um, self-examination that continues to go on today and self-understanding. So there's a saying that I learned in the program that to me is helpful because it's a really good, it's kind of, I might, you know, in this context, I might call it a formula for a great life. And you've probably heard it if you've been around recovery communities and it's this, trust God, clean house, help others yeah. you know if i if i can't remember anything else about the steps the principles the practices at least i can remember trust god clean house and help others mm -hmm. and you know each of those little phrases of course could be expanded into a whole bunch of experiences and right. stories and approaches and you know everybody can share uh, something different around them but it always does start for me rooted in spirituality or you know it says trust god uh, understanding of course whatever that means to each person i don't mean right. that you have to trust the god of my understanding right you have to trust the presence of the spirit of your understanding whatever you may call it um and everything kind of begins from there. Now, spirits and spiritual teachers um, have used the 
analogy, if you will, of spiritual growth of waking up. And you kind of started to talk about this, yeah. uh, waking up um, as a way of seeing moving out of addiction, because inactive addiction, I'm essentially asleep, you know, yes. spiritually, I mean. And so the process of recovery, the process of learning to live by spiritual principle is a process of waking up and getting more in touch with what is actually going on, you know, instead of kind of hiding from it, which was my uh, MO for the most part for a long time. Yes. You know, so when I think about 12-step spirituality or more broadly about spiritual principles, it, it gives me a formula or what I think has been called a design for living. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to sum that up is those three phrases, trust God, clean house and help others. Yes, exactly. So I, I guess you could say that I was referring to in my what I was just saying previously, I was referring to the clean house portion, right, which is where we do all that deep self examination. So yeah. absolutely, the trust God part actually um, does come first. And that actually um, having, okay, so the, you know, the first step is that we admit that we're, you know, alcoholics or whatever our addiction is. And then the second step is coming to believe that some power greater than ourselves can help us change our lives, right? So that really, I, I like that you said that because that does come first, you know, and that, so that was a huge awakening to me from not having any spirituality to um, finding this higher power of my own understanding. That relationship with that higher power, the portion of it that you're calling trust God is what enabled me to do the second part, which is the clean house. So I couldn't have done, I felt so crappy about myself, Dan, there was no way in hell I was going to sit there and look at myself and enumerate my defects and everything because I was so shame filled and so shame based at that point in my life. So I had to first come to believe in this power greater than myself that loved me unconditionally. And that unconditional love began to just began to chip away at that shame and those horrible, you know, that low self-esteem and negative, you know, inner dialogue and all that stuff I had going. That love of God is what enabled me, gave me the courage and the strength to do that work of what we're calling cleaning house. So absolutely, it, it's in that order for a reason. Trust God yes. and clean house. And then when you got half a head on your shoulders, start helping others, which, you know, we can start doing right away in recovery in many different ways. You know, everything from just showing up at meetings and participating and telling our own story. That is what helps others. That showing up and being authentic and telling like we're doing today, what was it like for me? You know, what is it like today? What am I doing to change things that that is you know there are other ways that we help others we can sponsor we can do service all kinds of things but showing up and just being a part of the group and being honest and authentic is i would say the the mo the biggest way that we help others because it's a it's a group process right yeah i i agree and uh, i'm reminded so phrase coming to mind and i had to think for a second to expand it is that we practice these principles in all our affairs, yeah. right? So this may have started off for me with um, the goal 
the need uh, to quit drinking, but it quickly became clear that, that that was the entry point. You know, that was the sign above the door, so to speak, that I walked through. But having walked through the door, and I did, um, you know, stop drinking, or what do we say, put the plug in the jug, right? We have all kinds <laughs> of problems. I did do that, and so uh, my mind began the long process of healing and clearing up, which mm-hmm. takes a shockingly long time. Yes, <laughs> and it's still it's still ongoing. I remember what I thought of at the time of, when in my first year, what I thought of at the time is old timers saying things like, it takes five years to get your mind back. I'm <laughs> like, I hope not. Cause I felt like my mind was back. Well, in a way it was because every, you know, every month, every week or day or whatever was pr- progress, you know, keep showing up and doing the work one foot in front of the other, but they weren't wrong. Yeah. Uh, I learned. Right about the time I hit five years, I began to understand what it is they might have been saying. <laughs> but it's not even over then. You know, in, in my experience, it's it keeps going uh, from that point. So the, the point is that I learned these things in the context of addiction recovery, but I practice these spiritual principles in every aspect of my life, whether it has anything specifically to do with recovery or not. It doesn't matter. I practice these principles in all my affairs so that trust God, clean house, help others that can remain sort of a, a, a very rudimentary blueprint. Yeah, that doesn't change. And I apply it to everything that I do, you know, and anything from my professional work, which to me, for me, doesn't have anything to do with addiction or addiction recovery. Um, my uh, church presence, you know, my spiritual community where I'm a leader, uh, there it sort of does. I mean, it's not a recovery church, but because I'm in recovery, it's very, you know, people know that. And right. so there is that thread that's always running through things. And then, you know, my relationship with my spouse and kids and friends and, you know, try to practice the principles in all that I do. So we're coming to the end of our time here, I realize. I'm not doing so great with the clock today. That's okay. I noticed that uh, it sneaks up on me. Maybe the pace of time has changed. That must we're be it. We're in some sort of warp. In the last few seconds, right. <laughs> Being sober has twisted the space-time continuum. But let's <laughs> hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We hope you'll stay with us. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Indeed, we are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. We will resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to remind you 
that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. Well, prior to the break, we were taking a little stroll down memory lane and remembering what it was like and uh, be in our active addiction. And, and then we moved into talking about the solution, which is the 12-step recovery program, which we know is a spiritual program. So we're going to talk now, uh, just kind of bringing it all together a little bit more about how we use that process of recovery from addiction and how it helped us move into what we are claiming today as a great life. Yes, and I will make that claim. Yes. Uh, e with ease. Uh, definitely uh, would not go back. And I love our, uh, particularly our, our uh, positive outlook in the unity movement where I can affirm that my best days are ahead of me. Mm -hmm. I believe that that is true for any of us the moment that we affirm that. And the reason, the way that I make that true is living my life by spiritual principles as we learn in 12-step recovery and addiction recovery. So when I thought about, okay, so, you know, I don't have any grand stories that I know of yet. Maybe I'll think of something, but how spiritual principles have helped me move out of addiction and into this life that I would describe as a great life. I realized that uh, we have in our recovery literature, the promises, right? And the promises have always been and continue to be, even after all this time, a, a very wonderful statement of how life can be and life is. And we talk about how they uh, they will always materialize if we work for them, for, you know, some slowly, some quickly, uh, right. certainly not in any order. You know, they kind of unfold. But the first one that might be my favorite is we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Yeah. I might even put joy in there. You know, yes. Joy being sort of a, an undercurrent of okayness. It's not uh, the same as happiness. It's more of a, um, just knowing that all is well underneath it all. Right. So we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. So freedom from alcohol was sort of the very first expression of, freedom but what i'm finding is that there's a list of freedoms yes uh, i won't try to list them but uh, if you're in recovery or if you're early on just know that um, this sense of freedom continues to grow and grow and grow every time we leave something behind yes you know, some untrue way of seeing some some negative self-talk you know that we all have um, there's another little bit of freedom. And of course, uh, as we are here on this show on Team Jesus, I can't <laughs> help but recognize that um, to me at the core of Jesus' teachings is freedom. I mean, he yeah. called it freedom from death. That That is sort of the ultimate expression of freedom. Freedom from, true freedom from death, uh, which to me means freedom from the whole concept of there being an end, freedom from all fear related to how things unfold. That's freedom from death. That is the ultimate expression. I can't, I don't know that I could affirm honestly that I have that, but I love that. 
I love that teaching. I love looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole world, especially the Gospels, to me, make a lot more sense when I look at them through that lens. The, the, we're te- the, this teaching true freedom, and so is addiction recovery, teaching true freedom. So that first yes. promise, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, not just once. And it's going to continue again and again and again. Yes, I love that. I love that we can pretty much sum up the sober experience as being one of freedom, gaining more and more and more freedom. And it just goes on and on. Um, And I like that you talked about that every time we shed something, you know, because that's what we're doing, really. And, And people are doing that whether they're in recovery or not, because that's kind of the unity program, too, right, is shedding all that no longer serves us, which is mostly our, you know, what we call error beliefs or error thoughts, you know, shedding our previous way of seeing things as that were, that was limiting and um, wasn't leading us to a joyous life. And every time we shed one of those things that no longer serves us, we experience more freedom. And so that's really what we're doing in recovery as well. And I love that our literature talks about, you know, that we want to be living happy, joyous, and free. And, and that doesn't mean that every moment of sobriety is going to be happy, joyous, and free, because in my experience, it certainly has not. There have been some very tough times, and I've had to do some really tough work that I'm pretty much glad I didn't know early in sobriety I was going to have to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> we were talking before about, you know, when old timers say, ah, oh, first year, you're barely getting, you know, you're barely even getting sober. You're still drunk, you know, and it's sometimes I'm reluctant to say things like that because, you know, yeah, you don't want to discourage people. I mean, I get it, but it's not helpful and it's not necessarily true. No. And the, the thing is, is, you know, we live, we try to live to the best of our ability one day at a time. Right. And that's really the best way to live. We don't know what's coming down the pike and it's a darn good thing that we don't because we'll be able to handle it when we get to it, you know, but we can't handle our problems five years from now, right now. And so it's just best that we don't know our problems or our good things. We couldn't handle any of it because we're not there yet. So we need to just stay in where we are right now. And so, yeah, if you're early in recovery, we certainly don't want you to think that this is going to be this, you know, (laughs) this is going to be this long, long road. But because we are living happy, joyous, and free, right? And sobriety is awesome. And that first promise begins to come true right away. A new freedom and a new happiness because it's a new kind of happiness. Um, It's not the kind of happiness that we had before that, you know, that chasing, chasing, like I said, chasing that beer commercial feeling. This is a different type of happiness. It's a subtler, more um, deeper, more settled, more true happiness. It's hard to explain. Is the word we, serenity is serenity. Kind of hard. That reminds me, what you're saying reminds me of serenity. Yeah. Yeah, but just trust us. I mean, look, do we look happy? <laughs> We're happy. Sobriety <laughs> is good. You know, I mean, I don't know anybody that comes to meetings and I'm like, sobriety sucks, man. I mean, there are certainly times when it's hard, but nobody thinks that it sucks. Everybody thinks it's awesome. It's certainly better than the way we were living before. And, um, you know, it just gets better. It's like 
it really all depends on what we want our lives to be. How good do I want my life to be? How, how much of the crap do I want to shed? How much more of the authentic me do I want to uncover? And then that's going to dictate how hard I'm going to work. You know, we get out of this program what we put into it. We can just do a little bit of work and basically get the worst of our behavior, you know, cleared away and we can just go on our way if that's what we want. But if we want a deeper and deeper life, you know, with more and more freedom and more joy and more happiness than we could ever imagine, then we keep doing the work and the promises keep coming true over and over and over. Yeah, it keeps getting better. It does. I think it's a very true statement that I can make. It keeps getting better. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip around in the promises. So there's the fifth promise says, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. And I want to focus on the second part of that because you were even talking earlier about that, um, uh, a place where we can guess like, well, how, you know, why did I have to do all this when these healthy people or these so-called, you know, we hear about dysfunctional families. Are there functional families? Yeah. If they are, There's I don't know where they are. Maybe they're invisible to me because uh, <laughs> I can't see them. But, you know, all, all these uh, allegedly healthy people leading healthy lives, and here I am drinking all the time. Uh, and I could lament that, like, oh, I'm so far behind, and they have this, and they've accomplished that. But this promise, to me, is a, one of the most powerful truths about this, is that uh, only a drunk can help another drunk, period, the end. People who aren't in recovery, you can read as many books as you want. You can talk to as many people who are in recovery as you want. Unless you are in recovery, you will never get this. You can't. It's not possible. This feeling that somebody who is not themselves a recovered alcoholic cannot help me at all in my recovery journey. Sure, I have spiritual teachers, and that's fine, but I'm talking about recovery issues. Yeah. And so the other side of that means that you and I and everyone who's listening, whether they're in a Al-Anon 12-step or a alcohol or, or drugs or a behavior or whatever, any kind of addiction recovery or um, the, the other side of the coin, the Anon side, uh, only we can help other people. Nobody else can. Yeah. And so in a way, it's a high calling. Yeah. Right. We have been called to be of service to others. We've been through hell. Only we can help guide people out who are still there. And what a privilege. You know, yeah. that that's how I have come to think of it. It really is. What a what an honor it is to be a witness to someone else's growth and healing and freedom experience. There's no substitute for it in the world anywhere at all. It's a privilege to be able to do this. So when I read, you know, no matter how bad it's been, basically, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. Man, that runs very, very deep yeah. for me. I uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, people that haven't, and, and it doesn't even have to be addiction from the same type of substance or behavior. It could be a different one, but it's, it's that function of the addictive nature of something and, and what that addiction 
how far down that addiction took us, you know, that dark place that the addiction took us to and what it took to recover from that. If you haven't been through that experience, like you said, it's very hard to, um, to relate to someone that hasn't had that experience because it's a pretty unique experience, which is why we help one another. And it's awesome. And like I say, even, you know, we can do service positions and we can sponsor people and all of that. But the easiest way we help is by just continuing to show up and sharing our truth. Um, you know, I know that just from listen, just years and years and years of listening to people's stories in meetings, I've learned so much, you know, um, people at all different levels of recovery, you learn what you want and what you don't want. Right. And it's not to say that every single thing somebody says in a meeting is to be taken as gospel because it's not, there has to be some discernment there too, but it's like, it's like the classroom of life. You know, we just get to watch how people live their lives. And basically the gist of it is we're not, we're not there to get sober or to get clean from whatever addiction it is. We're there to learn to live. Right. People, you know, say, well, I, I came here to stop drinking, but what I ended up learning was how to live because what we end up having to do is learn how to live without our addiction and life doesn't stop for us to get sober. You know, life keeps moving and um, the challenges come right away and we have to learn how to meet those challenges in a different way than we did before you know, in a different way. How can I walk through this issue that is presenting itself? I mean, you know, if you stay sober long enough, stuff happens. People die, marriages break up, you know, all kinds of things happen. And the gist is how are we going to walk through these things without using our addiction to numb our pain? How are we going to use spiritual principles to um, face these things and, and walk through them in a different way? And so um, just watching how other people do that is one of the ways that we learn. So it's so important that we share our experience with others and we share it honestly and authentically. You know, it doesn't help anybody to try to sound good or, you know, it's the authenticity that um, that really can help someone else. And I never knew that you know, that my journey was going to lead me into ministry. That's the last thing I ever would have thought. But now I do see how my experience can help others, you know, that people can, you know, I can help people in a way that I wouldn't be able to if I hadn't been through this experience and if I hadn't had the recovery experience. So many folks in unity yeah. are in recovery, right? Yeah. Lots so, and lots of folks. certainly seems to be a higher percentage. I don't, you know, I don't have any numbers, but that I see it too. Yeah. I've, that's been my experience as well. You know, two of the things, there are a couple of specific things that are called out in the promises that stand out to me. And this is the one that says fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. So I had both of those really quite strongly mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason. I mean, the fact that they're here in the, in the uh, promises tells me that I'm not the only one who had that. Maybe this is common to all people. Maybe it's common to all people in addiction. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, and to me, those are two completely different things. They're joined together here, um, but they're, they're kind of separate. So fear of people, you know, I was always very uh, much of a loner or quiet, you know, I wasn't the one 
going out and making friends and all of that, or if I had nothing to do, you were not going to find me out in a crowd. You know, you're going to find me at home if I have nothing to do. I'd be out in a crowd if I have to. You know, given <laughs> given the option, I'm going to be, you know, either by myself or actually preferably with the small number of close friends, you know, people that I know and trust. But people in general in the world were, you know, that was a source of fear for me, for sure. And economic insecurity, that's an, all of this is an ongoing um, growth experience. But, you know, I've, I still have ups and downs around economic insecurity. They, it, it comes and goes. It's just something that I get to work with from time to time. It's not nearly as bad as it was. Some of these fears were I could honestly describe them as paralyzing in the past, and that's not the case anymore. They've gone from that to just uncomfortable, right? In a way, spiritual growth uh, is a matter of becoming comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? I don't like that about it. It's annoying to me, <laughs> but I. But it is true, and I, and it, when I am uncomfortable, I have to remember it's like it's okay to be uncomfortable. The goal in life is not to be comfortable all the time right? right to me it's to grow exactly or what was the that movie spinal tap with the rock band anyway they're asking that it's a silly rock mockumentary asking the drummer what is your goal in life to have a good time all the time that's what he said it's like yeah that sounds like an addict's view of life yes, it does. to have a good time all the time yeah no no, that's that's not true. So fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us um, has come true for me. It comes back to visit from time to time, but it's an entirely different thing. And I'm grateful for that. That's a that was a big one for me. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that is a common experience. Um, I was just thinking about what is that saying that we have? It's somewhere in our literature about the road getting narrower. And isn't there something about the road gets narrower, but the highway gets wider or something? I've heard that. I don't remember it from 12-step literature, um, but I know that from just spiritual growth in general, that yeah. as we travel this path, the path gets narrower. I have heard that. Yeah, so it's one of these wonderful spiritual paradoxes um, that... You know, I find that spirituality is rife with paradoxes. But so when we say, or when I say, because I've heard it definitely in recovery that the road gets narrower. And to to me, what that means is my my choices. Okay, it's so hard to explain paradoxes. My choices get narrower because I can't. You know, it's like once you get recovery, it's pretty hard to go back and do some of those old behaviors because we basically. <laughs> I hate to say this to you if you're new, but we're going to ruin drinking or using or whatever your behavior is. We're going to ruin it for you because <laughs> you won't be able to enjoy it anymore and it just won't do the same thing for you anymore. So it's like the the choices get narrower in the sense that I can't behave in old ways and live with myself, right? I, I've, I've come to a new standard of what I, you know, how I can live with myself. And so in that way, the choices are, the road gets narrower, but in a different way, 
everything opens up in such a big way. You know, I, I remember feeling like around my third year of sobriety, like the world was just opening up to me. It's because I had lived very limited and constricted in so many ways. I was limited with what I thought I could do, how I thought I could act, where I thought I could go. My addiction was limiting me, you know, and as I began to shed those limitations, I felt the world opening up to me. Like I just felt all these new possibilities, like I could do this or I could do that or, you know, I could pursue things that I'd never imagined pursuing before. I could pursue hobbies and interests and um, it's hard to explain. So on the one hand, the choices get fewer because we can't choose our old ways. But in an, on another hand, we get more expansive. And, and we do, in a sense, get a return of the ability to choose, right? Because when we're in active addiction, we're not choosing. We're just feeding our addiction. So we, we begin to, rather than live life on autopilot, where we're just kind of going along, just trying to survive, we begin to be able to live life in a mindful and intentional way. So we get to say things like, do I want to have this in my life? Do I want to choose this? Would I like something different? Do I want to change this or that about my life? And all of a sudden we have the possibility of choosing and of change, you know, and then if you're lucky enough to find unity in, in recovery, we begin to learn how we can change our lives, you know, using our, our, our thoughts and all of the spiritual principles that we teach in unity. We, we get to create our lives is basically what I'm saying. So from feeling like we're stuck with what we have, we begin to feel like, I can create what I want here. I'm just That's hearing freedom. freedom. What freedom. You're, I jump up with a big sign that says freedom. You're talking freedom. about the exactly the kind of freedom that addiction recovery brings because of spiritual principle. Thank you yeah. for that. Amen. Amen. Altar call, freedom. <laughs> All right, so we've said a whole lot about this, so let's step back if we can and see if we can kind of get at the core of it. So, uh, Reverend Michelle, if someone came to you and said, I'm going to go back to that phrase I opened with, what does trust God, clean house, and help others look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I've pretty much shared that just to sum up, you know, the, the trust God means developing our relationship with the higher power, with the God of our understanding. So we've got to do things that uh, develop that relationship, spending time in prayer and meditation, um, working on, you know, spiritual matters, uh, exploration, learning what is God to me? What What is my experience of the divine? And then um, cleaning house is that self-awareness work, that self-examination, being thorough and fearless so that we can know ourselves. And um, that's the way to freedom from those things. We can't shift and change what we don't what we aren't aware of. So it's a process of awareness. And then by sharing how we did that, we help others, you know, and we help others all along the way. Every time we show up and we share, this is what I'm going through. This is what I did. Here's what happened. That helps someone else. And that's the beauty of the program. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's similar. Trust God, clean house and help others. So Trust God, of course, being first there, and, and I'm always, I'm constantly reminded that everything begins in or with or through whatever uh, God. God is your understanding, not the God of my understanding. In my life, it's the God of my understanding. And so if all else fails, 
that's all I have to remember is go back to the source. Like, I'm not sure what to do. I'm feeling really, um, you know, off track, out of balance. It seems like my life's getting a little crazy. I'm feeling anxious or whatever. What do I need to do? I need to return to the beginning. I need to go back and remember that everything is rooted in my relationship with God as I understand God and to start from there. So that's what yes. trusting God means. And sometimes I have to look and say that that's where I'm falling down. I'm not trusting God. Oh, okay, well, let me address that. Yeah. And then clean house, you know, what is my part in this? Look in the mirror, stop pointing the finger at other people. Um, just ask, what is my role in this? And then help others see everyone as valuable, basically. Yes, awesome. Well, we have an affirmation as always, and our affirmation today is this. One day at a time, I trust God, work my recovery, and help others. I am well on my way to living happy, joyous, and free. Yeah, one day at a time, I trust God, work my recovery, and help others. And I am well on my way to living happy, joyous, and free. Amen to that. Amen. Hallelujah. Freedom, right? That's Freedom. In a, in a word, that's <laughs> what it is. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful that you have. We hope that you found something here in all of our rattling on today that will be genuinely helpful to you in your own recovery. That's why we do this. That's what it's all about. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, as always, for our discussion, and thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Yes, we do. And listeners, don't forget, you can connect with us throughout the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Go ahead and drop us a comment or some feedback or questions. We would really love to hear from you. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. But until then, for God's sake, don't drink like my co-host. Yeah, and don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.